Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We got people who are different races, different ethnicities, different cultures, people in this room that can speak different languages. Some people in this room have their closest friends with them right now, and some people in this room are finding it hard to connect to the local church. There's some people in this room who are born into what I call church royalty, meaning uh, you've got generation after generation going backwards of people who have been in the faith for many, many years. And some of you are here as the first generation in your family who are now members of a local church. Some of you have come from different kinds of churches in your backgrounds. So when you come to this congregation, maybe there's some things that are different about here that you're not used to, or maybe you've never seen before, you had to figure out. Some of you grew up in different experiences, even inside of the churches of Christ. And so when you came here, maybe it looked differently, or it was a little bit strange, and you had to get comfortable or figure some things out. Some of you are here this morning, and you're so thrilled that I'm finally wearing a tie. (laughs) I got the arm all the way up there today, it was shaking, but I made it. Some of you wish I'd stop being so stuffy and take it off. (laughs) Some of you are uncomfortable eating in a church building. Some of you have never heard of such a thing. Some of you are diehard believers in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a bullet for it right now. Some of you just aren't sure what you believe yet. Boy, there's a lot of things we're different about. And in light of these and all the other differences that I could list... We have two options in this gathering, two options. Option A, number one, we can avoid our differences. So we can migrate to those that we feel most akin to, most comfortable with, those that are like us, those that make us feel most um, in our own skin, so to speak. We can migrate towards those groups and sort of maybe coagulate together and maybe come here and we sing and we pray, but uh, we just avoid those differences. The other option is this. We can transcend those differences. We can overcome them. One has the appearance of unity, but no substance. That's avoiding our differences. A lot of groups do that. They have the appearance of unity. They look together. They're in the same place. They say sort of the same things, but they have no substance to their unity. The other option, transcending our differences, has substance of unity, and sometimes it doesn't have the appearance, but it takes great work. Transcendent unity requires from us a bonding together by something greater than what divides us. And some of us, we've got to really think deep and serious about this. God tells us here in this passage and in many other places that you and I have a responsibility to unity in the church. You see, unity in the local church has some obstacles to it. For some people, they're indifferent towards it. But they're not sure why it matters, if it really makes that much of a difference. What I really need to do is just make sure that me and God are straight and everything's cool there. And I just kind of live and bounce in and out, but maybe a little bit indifferent towards what real Christian unity is for. Some of us in here might think it's impossible. (laughs) You've been to too many places. You know too many people, right? And you've seen church after church have problems and challenges and difficulties and not be able to hold together in unity. 
And sometimes we see unity as just icing on the cake, but not the actual substance of what we're supposed to pursue. God says here in Ephesians 4 that we are responsible to take unity seriously. Okay? Two things we've got to look at today. Not three, two. You'll like that. Number one, you and I have a responsibility to God. As we tremble before the maker of this world who sent his son to give his life so that we might be the body of Jesus Christ on this earth, you and I have a responsibility to him for the unity amongst us as believers. If you look down in verse 3, he says that we are to be eager, as um, Bob's translation said, we need to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now go down to verse 12 and 13, and look how he says it this way in verse 4. Chapter 4, pardon me. He says in verse 11 that he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these positions of leadership that have built the structure of what the local church is. He says he gave those to the church in verse 12 for this reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now listen to verse 13. These leaders are given to the church to equip every single member to be engaged in the local ministry of the church. Why? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a difference there. Did you see that? Did you catch it? In verse 3, he says that you're supposed to maintain unity. But then in verse 13, he says we're supposed to attain unity. You see, he's talking about two different elements of the same thing, and I want to try to draw this out for you. This is our responsibility to God. First of all, that we have utility, or pardon me, unity is a reality that we maintain. Similar to the biological family that you're born into that you had no choice over, you were just brought into this world sharing DNA, sharing blood, and that is your family. You didn't get to pick mom and dad. You didn't pick if you have siblings. You didn't pick grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. You didn't pick any of that. You were born into that family without a choice. Similarly, you and I are born into a family and we become a Christian. The family of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again like a new birth, brought into the kingdom of God. You won't see it. Water and, the spirit, water and the blood, you've got to be born into this. And when you are, you are brought into a family that is not our choice, the children of God. Our unity in Jesus Christ is a reality whether we know it or ever experience it. It is a reality that is true in heaven, and God wants it to be true here on earth. You see in verse 3, he says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit. He's saying that God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have a kind of unity that is born into us when we become Christians. That if I am a Christian, like Acts 2 verse 38 says, when I'm baptized for the remission of my sins and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you do the very same thing, you and I share the same Spirit. Regardless of all of the differences I described at the beginning of our sermon here, you and I share the very same Spirit of God in us. Bought by the blood of Jesus, not in our veins, but in our soul. Connected by the Spirit, wearing the same name. You and I are a family, whether we like each other or not. Whether we get along or not. We are 
called by God to maintain what is our reality. That means that he's watching, wanting to see how we respond. The second part of this, if you look down in verse 13, you see says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. But verse 13 says that we are to attain unity. So unity is also a goal that we strive for. It's something we work towards. What you and I are called to do is become in practice what we already are in position, meaning when we are born into Jesus Christ, whether we know it or whether we like it or whether we experience it, we are one with other believers in Jesus Christ. And now he's telling us that we are to pursue in practice what we already are in position, something we work towards. Christian unity is something that we pursue with every ounce of effort. He says Christian unity, if you look down and through these passages in verse 3 and verse 13, you go back and look in chapter 2, he's dealing with the specific hostility in Ephesus, which was really over race, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says Jesus Christ, by his blood and his body, tore down the wall of hostility that, that separates you. And what we learn in Christian unity here from these passages is that it involves a common conviction, that you and I share the same beliefs, that we have the same sort of things that we believe. It, sh- it means that we also have common confidence, a faith in Jesus Christ. But ultimately, we have a common care for each other, that we pursue this out of love for each other. That's why he says at the beginning of verse 3, you need to make every effort for this unity. You know where Paul gets that phrase? That phrase, be diligent, or pursue, or be eager, or do everything you can, is a phrase that Paul heard and borrowed from the gladiators. Remember the gladiators? You know, Russell Crowe, Are You Not Entertained? It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm not sure we can be friends. We're unity, but you know what I mean. Okay. In the, in the ages of the gladiators, they would have trainers, and they would get them ready for these fights. And the trainer, right before the gladiator would enter the arena, would say to him, do everything you can to stay alive. Now, when that gladiator entered into the Colosseum, how important do you think it was for him to stay alive? How how much of, do you think it was on his mind? You think he's walking around, you know, he's like, "Ah, I got an orange, I'll eat that and hang out. When he walked into that arena, what was on his mind, every step he took, everything he looked at, Everything he was paying attention to and trying to accomplish was, I want to get out of this place alive. That's how intense being alive was for him. And Paul takes that phrase, he borrows that language that they would have understood, and he says, I want you to give every ounce of effort to maintain the unity that God has given you and his children. That's how serious this is. So how do we do this, right? This is our responsibility to God that we need to maintain and a goal that we achieve in unity. How do we do this? Well, that means that we have a responsibility to each other. Look in verse 2. Paul summarizes this. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's the summary phrase. Paul says that you and I need to bear with each other in love. Endure with each other. Tolerate each other. Live long and patient and enduring with each other. When I hear this idea, this enduring or bearing with each other or tolerating each other, I I don't know how you think of it, but sometimes I imagine this idea of me being, you know, the bigger person and kind of putting up with something I don't like. 
Uh, you can get this phrase. If you have a sibling, you probably understand this. Your parents have asked you to do this before. And usually when you're doing the tolerating, you kind of see yourself as like the bigger person. Usually we're right, aren't we, in our own minds. We're the right ones. We've got to put up with people who are doing things that are not right. And we're doing that, this tolerance, out of our nobility, right? Look, look how good I am. I think often of, uh, if you've seen The Lion King, we've been watching it like every other day in our house because Nash likes it. And, you know, the brother Scar, you know, he's just sitting around with the hyenas and he's like, I'm surrounded by idiots. You know, he's got this nobility about him, but he wants, he's got to deal with them, so he's just tolerating them. Well, Paul, God through Paul, tethers our endurance not to our nobility, but to a reality about us, something deeper. We, we don't, we're not tethered to this endurance of bearing with one another because we are superior. We're tethered to this endurance because of a reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. That's why he points out these characteristics. There's three of them. Do you see them in verse 2? Humility, gentleness, and patience. And all of those come alive in us, become real in us, as we become aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts with who you are in Jesus. It starts with our humility. He says, you and I, in verse 2, need to have all humility. The Christian and proud are two words that cannot coexist. I don't mean that they, like, you know, they have some sort of relationship where it's like 60, 40, 70, 30. I mean this, that pride... And Christianity are two things that when you have one, you don't have the other. The awareness you have of your faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, the level that you understand that is the level to which you can have pride. And if you understand what God has had to do for you in Jesus Christ, it eradicates pride. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, Paul's walking through all of the um, problems of sin. He gets down to the point where he says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he explains that it was God through Jesus Christ to provide justification for sins. He put him on the cross and God satisfied his wrath for sin. And then he says at the end of that, where then, if this is true, can any of our boasting be? Do, do you see that? Paul's saying, if Jesus Christ had to die for you, how can you be a Christian and be really proud or have all this pride? You just can't do that. The gospel only produces humility and if you accept the gospel and you believe the gospel when you become a christian the pathway to that being true is through humility the core belief of christianity is that we are sinners in need of god's help that's the bottom line of it and if you can't swallow that pill if you can't come into christianity buying that you're not going to be humble and you might miss what really christianity is so he says that you are and i are to be humble Secondly, he says that not just who we are, but how we act, we need to be gentle. Now, this gets kind of mixed up sometimes, what, what, what Paul means by being gentle. Being gentle doesn't mean that you're a doormat, that you just get walked all over. Being gentle doesn't mean that you never ruffle any feathers, that you never really say anything to anybody that could be um, misconstrued. Being gentle doesn't mean that you just um, bow down and make sure everybody is pleasant with each other. That's not what gentle means. Gentle is not the same word as weakness. Totally different. To be gentle means that you have power under control. 
It's what we would use to describe a horse that is broken by its master. So it has incredible power. It can do incredible things. It's a beast that's huge and can, can move a lot of heavy things. But when it gets broken, it's under the control of its rider. Power used for the benefit of other people is what gentleness is. Now just pause for a moment and think about what kind of power do you have in this life? You're probably more aware of the power you don't have because for some reason in our world we like to tell people what they're not, what they don't have. But you have power. You have some kind of power. Maybe you have intellectual power. Maybe you know things. Maybe you're educated and you've learned a lot. You might have social power. Maybe you are connected to certain people or have certain standing in, in society or in culture. You might have physical power. Maybe you can do certain things with your body. Maybe you're strong and able to do some things. You might have financial or wealth power. Maybe you're able to um, use your money for good. You might have faith that's powerful right now. And what gentleness is, is the ability to take what you have as power and use it for the good of other people, not for the hurt of other people. And when we lose our gentleness is when we take what we're good at, what we're powerful in, and use it to make ourselves better than other people. That's what we do. We take sometimes our strengths, our powers, our abilities, and we use them as leverage to look down on other people to feel better about ourselves. But we start at the first part of this with gospel humility. Then we can move into gentleness, which means all the things that are at my disposal are for the good of God and his kingdom. To be gentle with each other. Use what we have to bless people. And he finishes with this. Not just who we are or how we act, but the way we live. He says that we're to be patient patient in an on-demand society patience can be really difficult can it now i don't know if i'm old yet i'm closer to 40 than 30 now so i guess i don't know what that means but i'm, I'm older i remember a time when the internet was annoying M meaning like you would click on a web page and it would take like forever to load up and you'd be like Oh, I mean, it's not worth it to get on the internet and look something up, right? I, I remember a time in which, you know, you'd be like, ah, it's too, it's too much work to get on the internet to find information. <laughs> Can you imagine now we're in a world where you, like, talk to your phone and it instantly tells you information? We live in such an on-demand society that we want things now, and it really erodes our ability to be patient. Let me pause and just say this about patience with yourself and patience with each other. What God is doing in you right now what God is doing in the person sitting next to you right now that you might think highly of or not think so highly of takes a long time. You build a life in Jesus Christ one brick at a time and it takes a really long time to build that structure. We get so impatient sometimes first with ourselves, right? We want the silver bullet of Christianity to just uh, shoot right through us. And I wake up tomorrow and my whole life is different and I don't have the thoughts I don't want to have and I don't act the way I don't want to do anymore. I just got it figured out. And there's no such thing as a silver bullet in Christianity. It doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen for me, that means it doesn't happen for anybody else in this room. And God says, be patient. He has been patient, right? In fact, his name in the Old Testament is um, steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. God's love is patient and enduring with us. We lose patience when we see ourselves as complete, meaning our work as in growing in Christ is already done. When we think that we've finished, so as you stop working on growing to be more like Jesus Christ, you will increase in being impatient with other people. The word patience actually just comes from the idea of a wick on the end of dynamite. 
And patience means a really long wick. So it doesn't mean that the dynamite's gone. It doesn't mean that you never have anger anymore. It doesn't mean that you're never passionate anymore. In fact, if you look into Jesus' life, there were times where he had immense amount of anger. And he would actually express himself in frustration. But what it means is that the wick is long. The burn takes a long time. And you and I are to be called to be patient with each other. Our wick of patience is lengthened by the amount of grace that we're aware of that God has had to give us. And when we are aware of that, we grow in that ability to be patient. These traits that God has told us about, that we have a responsibility to practice with each other, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this objective that God has told us that we are required and responsible to answer to is commendable. It's good, church unity, but it's challenging and complicated sometimes. I like Paul's word. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, he has the same sentiment in the beginning of 2, but he's going to tether and anchor us to something that's really important. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, it's over just a page or two in your Bible, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete by my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourself. And also look out for the interests of others. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, and have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you see where he's pulling this out of? This lacking selfish ambition, having humility, having gentleness, having patience. He's saying, be that because that's the very mind of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says it this way. Jesus Christ, who, who though he was in the form of God, consider being God not something that he should hold on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, here's what Jesus is doing, or what Paul's doing for us. Imagine for a moment I asked you, I said, hey, listen, tomorrow I need you to bring me $100,000. I need you to write a check, cashier's check hopefully so it doesn't bounce, and bring me $100,000. It's a necessity. You have to do that. You might look at me and say, I can't do that, right? there's no possible way like I'd have to sell my house and sell my cars and I'd have to figure this out like I, I, there's no way I could do it and what if I just then told you well listen Bill Gates has already put a million dollars in your bank account you already have it there now I need a hundred thousand dollars do you think you could do it of course you could right it changes it's different when we're asking as God is asking from us to have unity among us I think sometimes we see it without the bank account from Bill Gates there's no way I could do it. It's too much. It's too much effort. It takes too much work. I can't come up with the resources to make that happen. Humility and patience and long-suffering and endurance and love. I'm not sure I can come up with all that. And Paul says, listen, have the mind of unity in you, which was already in Christ Jesus. So when you're in Christ and you realize his humility, his gentleness, his patience, and his love, 
and you receive that more and more each day, it gives you the fuel by which you can practice that with other people. You see, God uses Christian unity to drive us to Christian maturity. And you will grow in Jesus Christ if you learn to commit to the responsibility we have to God and to each other to grow in unity with each other. So let's, if you have a need for that this morning to become one with Jesus Christ, we're going to sing this song with Kevin. You can come. Let's stand and sing.